Welcome back, Dragon Slayers. It is January 27th, 2024, and I'm joined by my brother and partner, Todd Lee. Todd was on injured reserve for a little bit, secondary to a shoulder injury, which I think will be repaired on February 5th. Accurate? Yes, sir. Good. So today, uh, we've been talking about the impact of technology and how we think, and I thought I would just begin with an overview of thinking back to my generation. When I was a kid, we all had to learn math tables, and we all had to learn how to divide and multiply longhand. Uh, later in my life, I realized that actually that was a wonderful skill. Surprisingly, I of course used it for most technology, but I used it best when I was overseas and the accident of what was going on overseas is I was in a uh, pretty tough country uh, in terms of poverty. Niger at the time, where I was a Peace Corps physician, was the second most impoverished country in the world, second only to Somalia, uh, right on the equator. Uh, we didn't have an access to a lot of great food in the market. Uh, we were limited by the heat, uh, so we would eat food like okra and onions. Uh, occasionally, we'd get some great mangoes and pineapple, uh, but most foods were in pretty short supply, at least for an American palate. At the time, I played a fairly decent game of basketball, and I recall playing on a court, uh, which was actually the American Embassy Court, meeting the ambassador who alerted me that uh, he was appreciative of the care that not only I was giving to the people of Niger and the Peace Corps, but also uh, his American embassy colleagues and actually took care of the Israeli army as well while I was there. Uh, and he said, you know, Doc, if you'd like some real food, you can come by for our Sunday buffets. And I said, wow, I'd be all over that. Uh, and he said, but you're going to have to learn to play poker. And it's a tough poker game. Well, my mother-in-law sent me this wonderful book by a fellow named Yardley called The Education of the Poker Player. And above all, I was a student. So I studied Yardley's book and proceeded to play poker, realizing at the time that I not only had to judge my competition, but I had to calculate quickly the odds of drawing to various hands, uh, where, whether I was playing five-card stud, seven-card stud, draw poker, whatever. So I was cal constantly calculating odds in the process of the game. Well, at the end of the story is I spent two years in the Peace Corps. We didn't get much money as Peace Corps physicians, but I had accumulated enough money from the poker games to buy a brand new VW, a beautiful set of lenses and a Nikon camera, and uh, some tape recording equipment. And that's probably really, how I... I have the really important question. Sure. What, Volks, what Volkswagen did you buy? It was, the, it, was, it was funny. It was a Beetle, the classic 1968 Beetle. Manual gotcha. transmission, no air conditioning. Carbureted. Uh, of course. Uh, but it was a great little car. And I drove all over Europe on it. 
cost me $1,240 in Belgium. Wow. Things worth a hundred grand now. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and, you know, I, I drove it in residency. And then when I left residency, I sold it for more than I paid for it. I only wish I hadn't sold it. It was such a beautiful vehicle. Dang, I love them. I've had 14 Volkswagens in my lifetime. Did you have the 68? The 68 was really a breakthrough Beetle. I had a 68 uh, Squareback, the Type 3 station wagon. Uh-huh. Okay. And then I had anyway. a six, Scott had a Scott had a 69 station wagon. But yeah, we, we had a lot of Volkswagens when we were kids. They don't make them like they used to. No, sir. No. In fact, even I could work on those suckers. Absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, the, the, the engine was right there. We literally pulled engines out with a skateboard, lower the engine <laughs> onto a skateboard, and slide it out. Well, here's a funny story. When I was in medical school, I had a roommate, a guy who's a good friend, but somewhat bit entitled. And we had rented, five of us had rented this wonderful farmhouse uh, while we were in medical school, which was a great place to run. It was, you know, by a river. It was a delightful place. Uh, and it actually had a basketball court in a barn associated with it. So you could shoot baskets. Uh, it was your dream barn. hangout. It was your dream spot. Oh, it was absolutely wonderful. But my buddy was so entitled that he'd take his VW and park the VW diagonally in the driveway so that nobody else could park. And I remember the front end of those things were so light that what I could do is I could pick up the front end and pivot the sucker. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get back to it. Anyway, in but the distance between my generation and your generation, Todd, is calculators were permitted in the classroom. So kids learn to use calculators. Now, what was the consequence of that? The consequence of that is kids of your generation, now adults, have great difficulty dividing and multiplying in their heads because they never really learn the math tables well. Right? Mm, I, I don't agree with that. Oh, you've got the math ta tables ingrained in your head. Yeah, I would say that maybe someone a little younger than me, probably in their 40s, would have that problem. But we, we were forced to learn it all. Okay, so you're part of my generation then. You learned the math tables. Yes, sir. Okay. Let's fast forward a few more years, though. And now we have mobile phones, which draw all sorts of attention for kids, which distract us. Uh, in fact, I would say, I don't know if you agree with me, but if I were to somehow lose my Apple phone, a fair proportion of my brain would go with it. Right. You know, I'm very I, dependent. I had a, one of my favorite professors in uh, high school was my one of my math teachers. And I'll never forget him saying, you have to learn these math tables because it's not like you're going to carry a calculator around in your pocket. And guess well, you what? You had a great math teacher. Good. <laughs> guess what? Did I you learn algebra? Now. Did you learn Absolutely. algebra and geometry? Good. Algebra, trigonometry, calculus. You did it all. I did. Good. That's why you're a smart guy. <laughs> well, you know, I I used all those things because I was a it's, competitive sailor. So obviously I used geometry. In, right. It scared me into becoming an art student. <laughs> the math. <laughs> right. Well, 
I had so much math in high school that I became a philosophy minor in college. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so moving on, studies have indicated that people who or kids who are dependent on the phone, they're dependent on the computer for stimulation, video games has really changed things so that we no longer have the capacity, I believe, to internalize imagery quite as well as people of my generation have done. For example, uh, I don't know if it's true. When you read, do you visualize what you're reading? I mean, you don't, you're not conscious of what you're reading. It just comes in, right? So I'm not a huge reader, like as far as reading words on a page, but I'm a very avid audiobook listener. Okay. And, and you can so listen would, in that way. Yeah. And when I listen, I definitely see what's happening. And when I read, I just don't read as much as I listen. I, I consume a lot of audiobooks. Well, I think that's wonderful. I think for me, listening or reading, I visualize the entire experience and I can actually yes. read a passage or that could be so compelling that it could push you to tears. And Right. It's, that's why it's such a struggle for me to read a book and then try to watch the movie because it doesn't look like it looks in my head and I freak out, you know? Well, that's often why if people read something conscientiously, to see the film is often a disappointment. Right. There's one exception, though. Uh, I read uh, Bernard Malamud's book, The Natural, and I saw the film, and the film was so much better. The film is a masterpiece. Yeah, it was so much better. Uh, I would so say one t one time that it happened to me was with, uh, oh gosh, what was it? I can't think of it off the top of my head. But there was a book that I thought the movie was actually better, or at least it lived up to it. Oh, The Lord of the Rings, Peter Jackson's work. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I really, I really thought Peter Jackson honored the books. I really do. Well, you can look at film like that where you're able to, using technology, manifest what Tolkien had in the book. And you say, wow, son of a gun. Uh, That's the Balrog. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> right? yeah. So, yeah, that that does it. But the concern is, and it's really been established, that the kids who are so dependent on electronic media are more, like, more likely to manifest attentional problems, retention problems, as well as social problems. And so there is that evidence that there is a downside to all this technology. Right. Well, now, you, mentioned video, you mentioned video games, and I'm in a very rare, I'm at a very rare age where I saw the invention of video games, and I've lived with video games my entire lifetime. Video games are about 50 years old, and I am about 50 years old. So, On the other hand, uh, in wartime, the kids that were trained on video games made much better pilots. Yes, sir. Yep. 
Uh, have you read the book Ender's Game? No, tell me about it. So it's a science fiction story about a kid who him and all of his friends play this game and it's heads up dog fighting fighter game and they all play it. And long story short, by the end of the film, he finds out that he wasn't playing a game, that he was actually fighting in real wars with a remote control jet that he was playing, thought it was a game. But at the uh-huh. end, they were all fighting in a real war. It's incredibly wow. well done. But like you said, the drone pilots and all these guys nowadays, I mean, they're playing video games. You know that they use an Xbox controller almost all the time, right? Well, the, the other pilots. thing about it is it dehumanizes killing. Oh gosh, yes. Which is But I'm gonna def- I'm gonna defend video games to the very end though, just so you know. That's might be a disagreement between no, us. No, but... no, 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 no. I, I I think what I'm really suggesting here this is a two edged sword. And you have to take the best of it and say, Okay, if I'm gonna be doing this, I need to compensate by making certain that other aspects of me are in place. For example, if you're concentrating your life on media and you're working entirely, say, from a computer or on your phone, you need to make certain that you engage people from time to time. Amen. Just saying those social skills. It's interesting. We have a kid, uh, he, I think he's 23 now, and he's been playing video games since he could hold a controller. And uh, he's got this crew of friends, about six friends, that he's been playing this game Halo with for since he was a teenager. Right. And last month, he got to meet all of them in person in Las Vegas. Oh, cool. And he said they didn't miss a beat. He said, I've, I've known these guys for 14 years on the computer. And when I met him in person, it was just seamless. We were all best friends instantly. So I thought that was pretty cool. Well, the other thing that it did for you and me is that both of us are kind of nerdy. And yes, sir. it allowed us to interact with people that perhaps without all of that technology, we couldn't have been actors very well. Right. I think that for some certain personality types that it did help them open up. So, But I grew you... up, I grew up before the online gaming, you know, a lot of the kids that are like in their twenties, they grew up with that headset you're wearing right there. Right. Mm-hmm. So they're talking and they're playing the game and they're talking video games for me for 20 years had no multiplayer quote unquote, you know, it was just me versus the game, which I always thought was fueled my creativity and made me into a, more well-rounded, creative being, you know? Well, if you think about what you're doing in your various avocations, I think that's been heavily informed by your skill set that you develop on the computer. Right. The silk screen stuff, all, everything. You're an artist. Right. I'm an artist, graphic designer, and that made me a gamer. Mm-hmm. Of course. But ever since, ever since I wanted my first PC, I wanted it to play games. I wasn't kidding anyone. I was like, oh, we could do the books in the house and I could help you with this. But I wanted that thing to play video games when I was a kid, the period. So my my story is that I had some capacity as a writer. But it was not until the invention of the computer slash word processor that I could ever write fluently. Because every time I wrote on a typewriter, it was, ah, shoot. You know, right. got to point it out, right. correct it, everything else. Wow, so, that's so interesting. So your writing flourished because of the technology. Yeah. I mean, I could write with a word processor. As, as you've witnessed with me, I can dictate using Dragon. All these things have been really linchpins for what I do. 
So right. I would never condemn the computer. And I, you know, I owe a lot of my success to Apple and Microsoft. Right. The blue Do you meetings. play games or no? You don't play mm -hmm. games? You don't play games? Uh, I play games a little bit. I, I would say Seth and, of course, the grandkids can kick my ass. Right. If you right. asked me to, to play a game, I would say, you know, the game I would play would be chess or Scrabble. Gotcha. Right, 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 right. Right. Yeah, so you have an unfair advantage at Scrabble. I don't appreciate that. Well, the other thing that, as you know, that I really am fascinated by is the social networking associated with fantasy sports. I mean, right. virtually everybody has got, it seems, part of the culture, a fair segment of the culture is a fantasy football team. It's uh, crazy, right? Yeah. And, you know, that's how we all we can interact and channel our inner athlete or our, our inner youth. I've, I say it all the time that fantasy football is World of Warcraft for for jocks. <laughs> it's it's just a video game for jocks. Period. It's yeah. so so interesting to watch them get so involved, and I'm like, and you make fun of kids that play video games, but look at you with your fantasy football team. Well, you know, the other thing is really funny. If you if, Many leagues are, of course, if one league that I'm participating in now has got a lot of really high-end people, you know, former CIA guys, uh, right. ambassadors, attorneys, and, and boy, these guys are competitive, and ladies. I mean, they propose trades to you. And I had one buddy of mine who I, I came from Stanford. He came from Harvard. And he would propose these trades to me. And I would say, you know, you're treating your opponent as if you're a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Do some, have some respect, man. Right, 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 right. Uh, okay. I, I've always thought that, uh, you remember, there was an era where d violent video games were being demonized for affecting the mental health of kids. And I would argue that social media dwarfs that impact that video games were having. I think social media is dangerous. Oh, you are absolutely correct. I think that you really are correct. I think that the problem with it's okay when you look at video games and realize that it's fantasy. Right. And I think the problem is some kids aren't able to make that distinction in the same sense Social media can be adolescent cruelty on steroids. Right. I mean, we all know, and even, you know, people of my generation, your dad's generation, witness adolescent cruelty. I mean, all you have to do is read Stephen King's Carrie to get a sense of that. Uh, and, you know, that extrapolated from a nerd guy, likely who witnessed this himself, and kids can be horribly cruel, but when you extrapolate that to what's happening now, and people can really be horribly bullied by the media. So it, it exponentially increases the power of cruelty. So this is one of the reasons why you really cannot take some of that stuff too seriously. And you know, a take-home lesson for adolescents is it's hard if you really are self-aware to think of a lot of people who go through adolescence who aren't 
empathic about their own awkwardness. Right. You know, we're all I kids. The road, I think the road for nerds has become a little easier. The typical, you know, nerd, because now we're the heroes because people need us to help them with their printer and with their broken iPhones and their all their different technology shit. How do I use this? And all of a sudden, ooh, the nerd now. My friend the well, other yeah. day is my my friend the other day is my age, and he said uh, we're the only generation that had to help our parents with the printer, and now we have to help our kids with the printer. <laughs> so you know, my situation was that it was very nerdy, and I think it was you know I was athletic and I did a lot of stuff, did a little performing arts, wrote a lot, but I was about up to a year and a half, if not two years, younger than many of the kids in my class. And I think, as I've shared with most of you, my remarkable skill set is multiple choice exams. That's what filters out people who want to go to medical school. I'm just absolutely bitching on multiple choice exams. But it's hard to use that skill set in high school to pick up dates. Man, right? <laughs> right. I was like, hey, I'm really good at Donkey Kong. They didn't care about that. <laughs> Doesn't quite work. No. Okay. Fast forward a bit, and I think one of the problems I foresee in contemporary education, and it's really interesting if you look at surveys about how people value post-secondary education, it's really being precipitously devalued in our culture right now. Absolutely. And, And I think there are a lot of reasons for that. From your perspective, what are those reasons? I think that because kids are just as smart as they always were, and now they can use YouTube, they don't need college. They can become very affluent at things and become experts in things without anyone's help. Well, I think you're right in part. I think I think when I was a kid, your dad was a kid, college was an avenue to get into the professions. Right, right. And, you know the what you know there were a few professions that we could get into engineering medicine law and so on uh but you know when we go to college now and if you see what some of the majors are it's very difficult to determine an an economic purpose for some of this stuff and I think that's one of the reasons it's devalued. I think the other reason it's devalued is that we're overly leveraged with administrators. And the third thing is most recently is that you're getting back to the point where the college community itself can be toxic for a number of the students. Absolutely. With all of the you know ferocious political correctness. Right, but the skill gap too. Think about the kids that... Yeah are just average intelligence that go to college and they're just learning and they're having fun and they're partying. But the skill gap between them and someone who's going with the full intention to become a doctor, surgeon, yeah. p- p- all of those types of things, the skill gap between those people, they just aren't even, they're not even, uh, they don't have anything in common anymore. You know, you have your blue collar student and I know kids now that are dropping out of college and making more money than they ever would have with just a four year bachelor degree hey i got my degree can i have a job versus learning a real trade skill or something and getting into plumbing or electrician or any of that they're killing it because the world is full of intellectuals no offense but no one knows how to fucking fix a toilet 
Well, no, you're. So I'm crazy. with you. I'm, I mean, if you have a craft and you do it well, you got it made. Uh, Seth uh, describes himself as a family underachiever. Brilliant kid, <laughs> absolutely. I brilliant. love that guy. He is well, the furthest thing from that. No, he's 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 got it all. You know, emotional intelligence and super intelligence and other areas. But he was a theoretical math major at Caltech. Really, really smart guy. You know, kind of a Stephen Hawking person that could really understand all this stuff. Uh, he took just two computer courses in college and then morphed himself into a software engineer that had broad application. And, you know, right. I'm looking at that and saying, okay. Uh, but in my generation, I could never have pulled that off. You know, I, I had to have all these degrees. Right, right, right. To where Seth was able to pivot just because of something that interested him. And he used to apply his intellect that he had from theoretical math to software. Boom. But can, Same thing, can basically. you imagine the courage that would take? Because it would mean that you have to be current. You don't, you don't have a diploma on the wall. You've got to be current and relevant all the time. Yeah, having a having a sandwich shop for twenty years without a business degree. <laughs> yeah, like you know that. what I mean. Yeah, but a little bit like bit, that. But but you make bitchin' sandwiches. Man, we try. Okay, then I'm going to fast forward to something that I want to talk about, and that is critical thinking skills. I think we need to more pay more careful attention to how do we think critically about all sorts of arguments. We have a propensity in our culture right now to think binary. And I think one of the problems we have is that politically, each side has its own echo chamber. Oh, which for sure. Is, hmm? I'm sorry? I said for sure. I said yeah. for sure. It's incredibly irrelevant to what reality is. And I, you know, as I work with patients right now, Anxiety about the direction of the country and the sense of our disunity as a country is tormenting all sorts of people. And one of the things I wanted to propose on this podcast is the notion that, as we're talking about professions, there are a number of professions in our culture, a number of occupations that have life and death power. Even you, when you're saying you're running a sandwich shop, you've got to have past inspections. You could yes, kill sir. people if you didn't take care of your food, didn't have proper hygiene, and so on. As a physician, obviously, you know, I've got to pass credentialing exams. Judges need to meet certain standards. Airline pilots need to meet standards. Even professional football players have to take a Wonderlick test right. to make certain that they've got enough gears to understand a playbook. But anybody can become a politician. Exactly. Anyone can become a politician. And as most frightening, anyone can become president. And what we're confronting right now, I'm afraid, is two guys that are intellectually compromised, if not worse. And I, one of the things that amazes me is people who look at this and say, what do we do? We don't have a choice. You know, who are we going to pull the lever for? And I, it's a time of despair. And I really look at each party 
and saying, are you really representing the entire country? Are you representing values that make sense? And I would think that if you go back in history and you could have George Washington, Lincoln, Adams, Hamilton, Jefferson, those dudes come back. Or even most recently, someone like Barack Obama. You know, I voted for him. I don't agree with everything he said. I think his anti-colonial policies may have negatively informed where we're going as a country. But at least he had the gears and he had what seemed to be the genuineness to pull us together. Right. I, I felt hopeful. I, I, I felt sort genuinely hopeful dur during that era. Well, well, he did generate hope. And I, and I think he was the apotheosis of people of my generation that were campaigning for civil rights. I mean, you know, okay, this is our chance. Right. Uh, but, you know, what we have right now is doesn't meet standard. And right. I'm just hoping that somebody figures it out pretty soon, ideally before next November. It just scares the hell out of me to see what we're going to be confronting with next November. Well, the the rate at which it devolved is terrifying. Do you know what I mean? Yep. Oh, no, I do. I get that. I get that. I mean, before we knew it, we were talking about paying off hookers and porn stars, and, and we we're just like, where? What the heck? What? Where yeah, did the, what? You know? Yeah, that, you know, now we got this guy who's – we got one guy who I have serious doubts about his capacity to think through a speech and the consequences of that and what his real priorities are in this country. And, you know, if you look at the whole open border question and the downside cascade of that, and as we talked earlier off camera, that isn't about immigrants. It's about selecting in immigrants that are dependent on government, because those of us who are working with Latinos and Latinos who are trying to get citizenship, it is a, an enormous challenge. Yes, you're going to say something. I was just saying, yes, I'm dealing with immigration with a Latina yeah. trying to get citizenship in the United States with my sister-in-law, and it is a... Of course it is. You know, I, And I've got a, a woman who works for me now who's a wonderful lady. She was a former... CPA and hospital administrator. She's been trying to get citizenship for years. Can't get it. You know, but, you know, people are coming across the border who will be dependent on society. You wonder, what is, what's, what's the calculus there? The calculus looks like it's full employment for some politicians. Yeah, right. it's really right, frightening. Right, right. Yeah. I don't want to go so, too far down the political rabbit hole, but I hear what you're saying. Oh, no. Well, it, for some of us, that's how it's perceived. It doesn't make a lot right. of sense. Anyway, I, uh, I think we need to have a credentialing exam for politicians. I think we need to have certain like the bar intellectual, hmm? like the bar. Yeah, we need certain intellectual and ethical standards that must be met in order to be a politician in this country. Otherwise, we're toast. Man, it's it's not looking good. I hope that the level of despair and disgust is so great that something will happen before November. Uh, I just I hope we can come up with something better than we have right now. But it's a remote hope. It's a hail mary, if you were will politically.
hopefully the whole country doesn't implode because I'm trying to make some business moves right now. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Okay. Well, Dragon Slayers, I hope we have not burned your ears too much on this subject. Uh, I'm glad to have my brother in arms back in the game. and Brother in arm. I only have one arm right now. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, soon there'll be two, and soon we'll be in a real professional studio again. Yes, sir. Okay. All right. Todd, anything else you want to say? Um, I thought you were going to go in a little bit harder on video games being a negative impact on society. I'm glad you didn't do that because I didn't want to have that conversation. No, no, no. no. I, I, no I think it is a two-edged sword. I think yeah. it's <laughs> it's a balance, you know. And it, I think I the do. Balance I do is... agree that. Yeah, I do agree that you shouldn't put your eight-year-old in front of a video game that's shooting and killing and all that stuff. You know, I I was lucky enough to grow up with a Nintendo and get the slow gradual by the time we were shooting people in the video games i was an adult you know what i mean i i agree with not exposing young kids to that violent stuff but there's so much cool stuff out there that video games shouldn't be lumped into one big you know situation in my opinion well i think i'm a hell of a lot healthier because video games weren't available to me when i was a kid because i would spend my leisure time playing sports right i'd study you you mean physically healthier yeah. Oh, yeah. I sat on my ass a lot playing video games, and it turned me into a guy who likes to sit on his ass and play video games. But I right. don't know. I love it. It's what it's one of my true things I love in this world. Like not having well, two hands right now mm-hmm. or two arms has made it really tricky to play video games. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're gonna get to, we're gonna get you back to channeling your athletic self soon. soon yeah, and I'm gonna be channeling yeah. my athletic self too. You're right. You're right. 